Welcome to the Life Well-Lived Podcast. I'm Kayla Brandon, a holistic health coach and wellness enthusiast. I am absolutely obsessed with learning about people who live their most authentic lives. In this podcast, you'll hear stories about those who truly live a life well-lived and what they do mentally, spiritually, and physically to get there. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical advice on pursuing a life with purpose and passion. This week, I interviewed Kiki Athanas, an intuitive eating coach who helps smart women conquer emotional eating and practice healthy, balanced eating with consistency and ease, even in the face of life's many, many challenges. In this episode, we discuss Kiki's own relationship with food, how to conquer your cravings and get off the nonstop hamster wheel of thinking about food, why men seem to have the best relationship with food, and so much more. Not only did Kiki drop so much knowledge in this interview, she had me laughing the entire time too. I hope you enjoy this episode just as much as I did. Without further ado, let's get into it. Kiki, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I know, your energy is amazing. I wish um, everyone could see you on the screen. You're just like, you radiate just so much joy and I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. We're going to talk about so many exciting things, but before we do that, I kind of want to get just a general intro um, from you yourself, like who you are, what you do, and kind of what led you to this work in the wellness space. Sure. Um, So my name is Kiki, and right now I help women struggling with different forms of disordered eating. I say that with the caveat that most women that I work with don't resonate with the fact that they may or may not have disordered eating. Um, So another way to say it is I help women that have food stuff going on, some food issues, um, whether it be on one side of of the sort of more typical disordered eating, what we think of where it's like very much restrictive, both and as well as on the other side of the pendulum where uh, women feel like food just runs their lives and they have zero control over it and they're just totally in, you know, indulgent mode all of the time. Um, and I was led to this work through surprise, surprise. I struggled with food for over a decade. Um, I had, I think now looking back, I can honestly say various forms of disordered eating, although I never subscribed to feeling like I was anorexic or bulimic or any of those things. I remember late in my journey, I was told like, oh, you have orthorexia, which is uh, essentially an obsession with clean eating. And that was the only one where I was like, okay, I might have that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so I really, I struggled um, with it for, for many, many years and uh, eventually had to find my way out of it because it was just no longer serving me. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the details of, of why. Um, and, uh, and I started, uh, there was a, a particular method that I found really powerful and, and transformational for me after trying quite a few things that did not work or made it worse. Um, when I did finally find something that worked, I started actually just sharing it with friends and family because as we were discussing prior to recording so many women struggle with some form of just like weird obsessive things around food and so um I shared this method with friends and family and it was really well received and so I eventually um started doing women's circles and and coaching and now um I'm lucky enough to do that full time and um and do it remotely and uh so yeah and also get to chat with people like you about it so it's a win-win-win. It is a win-win-win. And and you mentioned, I know, your your own journey with food. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper because I know 
everyone has a story as we were, you know, discussing earlier. Um, and usually it, it's, it comes about at a certain time in their life when it's like you're in a time of transition or you don't have control over your life. So you're, you start controlling food. So I'm curious to see like if you can resonate with that or like share a little bit more about that specific part of your journey. Oh, absolutely. You nailed it, girl. You could do this. Um, Yes, it was uh, literally it was in a transitional period. And I didn't know um, while it was happening. I can now see that with hindsight. But uh, essentially, I was always quite perfectionistic, A-type. I always, you know, wanted to do well in the world. And I think as women, um, we're conditioned to kind of think that, okay, well, being skinny and eating healthy is all part of just like being perfect, right? And so for me, I, uh, in puberty, I was a little bit on the chubbier side. And um, I mean, my family were like big boned. So um, uh, mix that with being a little bit chubby when I was, you know, like the tender age of like 15, 16. Um, And I remember I, I left home to go to university. And that's when I started cooking and um, for myself and grocery shopping and exercising. And I uh, shed the excess weight that I was um, holding on to. It was, it was nothing extreme, but um, I eventually just slimmed down. And I remember just getting so much positive feedback and attention. And suddenly it was almost like overnight. I, I was no one to being everyone um, and just like everything. And it felt so great. And I think for a lot of women on their health journey at the beginning. It feels amazing. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it from a place of fear or restriction. I was literally just like eating food that tasted good to me in, in quantities that tasted good to me. I was exercising because it felt good. It wasn't from this place of fear. Um, until I realized like, oh, this is my identity. Like, this is how I'm going to receive love in the world. And that's when it started to take a turn and, um, to kind of use the language that I now use with clients, like I, I started to, my stomach started to move up into my head and I started to just analyze everything. And then, then I realized it was like, okay, I don't even really need to, um, I don't need to feel anything. All I need to do is just strategically, you know, choose the foods and work out and do all these things. And, um, and I was always really drawn to wellness. And so I, um, was working for different wellness startups. Um, I also loved like, sort of being the center of attention. I was doing different like media things where I would go and like talk about smoothie bowls at a certain restaurant. And I was just branding myself as this, you know, wellness expert, so to speak. And I was doing these different nutrition courses. And um, a few years in, I started to realize that like, maybe I'm taking this almost too seriously. Like it's starting to really consume my life. And there's no moments in my life now that I'm not thinking about eating or thinking about not eating. And, um, and so to be honest in that period, I didn't, I knew I had a problem, but it wasn't a problem. Like I I knew I was like, Hey, I think I have some form of disordered eating, but I'm skinny and I'm hot and everyone loves me. So I don't really care. Um, and it wasn't until I started binging, I started having IBS. I started, you know, having acne. I started gaining weight and I was dieting all the time. And I was like, what is this? Um, And that's when I really realized like, okay, no, I officially want to fix this now because I'm no longer even getting the benefits. And yet I'm putting in all of the hard work of monitoring what I'm eating, you know, being so strategic. And yet 
my friend who's sitting next to me, like eating a burger has like glowing skin and a perfect body. And I'm here like stressed out over my kale salad um, and, you know, running to the bathroom because I'm prisoner to my bowels. So, um, so yeah, so that's sort of my journey of <laughs> the darks and the depths of it. <laughs> wow. And I, I know we're going to get to the, to the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for your story, but I appreciate you sharing that because I feel like a lot of the things that you mentioned are pe- things that women specifically, I think, can relate to, like overanalyzing your plate, thinking about food constantly. Like you just finished breakfast and you're like, what am I going to, what am I going to have for lunch? And it's not in a way where you're like excited for food. You're more like, how can I control what I have for lunch so that it keeps me full so that I can eat less? And I'm saying this because it's something that I also have struggled with. Um, And it's a horrible place to be in. So I think it's great that you're taking your journey, sharing it with others, and then turning that into a gift that you can give to women um, and help them on their own journeys. So I want to talk about that, the gut-brain integration method that I think you mentioned previously. Um, How did you come about that and what is it? Because I feel like I have an understanding of, you know, the gut-brain part of it, but I would love to learn more. Yep. So it's really quite inspired by – multiple brain integration technique, which everyone can read. There's a book called multiple brain integration technique as well. Uh, And it's really, that's all about synchronizing the head, heart and gut brain. Um, There's other brains that have yet to be um, released, (laughs) Uh, but we definitely have other brains. Now they're saying, you know, like our liver, there's a brain in there. It's lots of brains, but anyways, it's really about uh, developing coherence within them. And, um, and I worked with a coach and she was very inspired by that method as well. And it was very similar. And essentially it's about reconnecting with the visceral sensations in your stomach and letting that be the guide to how you eat, which is nothing radical because that's all, that's the way that we ate when we were children, right? Like when we were um, a kid, Uh, depending, you know, like some of us, even as children, we were conditioned, but like, ultimately, when we first came out of the womb, we desired something when we were hungry, we, you know, went to seek food or cried for food. um, And then we would, you know, eat something that tasted good to us, and then we would move on with our life. Um, And that's really where it should have stayed and stopped. Um, But then we start to kind of develop all of this head chatter. And so the gut brain integration method is really reconnecting you with hunger and satiety, which that sounds a lot like intuitive eating, but intuitive eating, mindful eating, that never really worked for me because it didn't have enough of a structure. I felt like it was very like, oh, like, let's just love ourselves regardless. And for me, I needed something less fluffy than that, because ultimately, I also was like, yeah, but I want to be healthy and I want to be slim. And I don't want someone to tell me that like, that's wrong. And um, I remember when I was working with my coach, she was the first person who was one, willing to help me with my eating disorder and two, not shaming me for wanting to be slim. I remember I said to her, I was like, I need to tell you though, like, I want to be skinny. Like, that's just the way it is. And I was ready for her to be like, Kiki, you just need to love yourself, like get over it, right? Because that's sort of what everyone says, right? It's like, oh, you're so much more than a body, which of course is the truth, right? But she was like, yeah, of course, like, of course you do, because the body doesn't want excess storage. Why would you want excess storage? And she would always use the word storage over fat, right? 
And I was like, oh my goodness, finally this woman gets it. Like, it's not even from this place of, you know, oh, it's because I want to, you know, be a superstar or anything. It's just because I feel good when I'm in a body that feels good for me, which feels light and free. And that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be slender. And slender is different than like, you know, being a French model. I'm not saying that we all need to be stick thin, but, um, but it's normal to want to not have excess right? Um, we have excess storage if we're going into a famine, right? Like it's actually uh, for a need that most of us, we don't really need that, right? We can go to a grocery store if we have, you know, for hunger or whatever, we have access to food, so we don't need to store it. Um, and so uh, it was finally a method that gave me that structure um, of both, you know, like tune into your hunger and tune into your satiety um, with the guarantee that it's like, and you will not have access because I felt like that was the missing piece for me. It was either, okay, I totally surrender to like F it. I'm just going to like love myself, eat whatever I want and like be mindful and happy and possibly overweight or possibly in a body that I'm not comfortable in. Or I can continue dieting and obsessing and like look good on the outside and possibly be suffering on the inside. I felt like it was one or the other. And this one for me was like, oh, wow. I can have both. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, in terms of the actual method itself, it's um, really a recording method. Um, I, it's quite, it's not complex, but it's, um, it's layered. So, I mean, I um, work with clients one-on-one -on -one and it's each week it changes a little bit, but ultimately for anyone listening to this podcast and wants to, you know, dive deeper into kind of exploring the, the, the elements of it, um, it's really reconnecting again with hunger and taste. Those are the two boundaries of the body that especially we as women need to reconnect with. For most women, when I say hunger, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Taste is sometimes a little bit scarier because they're like, oh my God, if I just ate what I what I what tasted good to me, I would eat chocolate cake all the time or whatever. But as we strengthen our taste buds through eating according to you know, our gut intuition, um, we do actually crave foods that like we actually just need it, 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 from a nutritional standpoint. We don't crave processed foods. Like we don't, um, uh, you know, everyone thinks like, oh my goodness, sugar is so bad. Like sugar is not bad. Like you think sugar is bad because we've all been told sugar is bad and um, we eat it when we're stressed or we overeat it. And like, there's so many other factors around it that we demonize sugar and then Therefore, we want sugar. Um, but as soon as everything becomes available, do we really want sugar? Like, yeah, sometimes we want a piece of fruit, but like then we eat it and we get over it. Um, and so, so yeah, I'll stop there. I can really ramble. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here like, please go on because um, the elements you mentioned of like hunger and taste, um, they, I feel like that I can relate to that obviously because when you're hungry, Usually, like, everyone has that understanding of the feeling of when you're truly so hungry that, like, you're hangry. So yes. I feel like when I think of hungry, that's what I think of because I'm to the point of, like, I'm so, so starving. I have to eat, <laughs> which I try not to let happen. So I feel like we're all conditioned, and maybe you can, you know, confirm this or not with your research, but, like, we're conditioned to eat before we're even hungry because we're, like, scared of being hungry. And so that's interesting. So that's actually, that's not everyone. That's a sub subset of people. And you are in the subset of people. That, um, <laughs> okay. Now this is a therapy session. I should be, <laughs> I will bend my you after this. <laughs> a little bit different, but, but there's certain women that it's, yeah, it's like, there's this, um, there's this fear of being hungry because um, 
okay, so how can I put this? Like hangry, I think is a totally made up term or, or let me, well, it obviously is a made up term, but I, I, I mean, like hunger is not an emotionally intense feeling, right? Like we can be very, very hungry. That doesn't mean that there's like an intense emotion attached to that. Hunger is not good or bad. It's just a feeling, right? It's a feeling in our stomach. We've made being hungry this like stressy, like, you know, intense, like negative thing. But oftentimes it's because you're stressed about something else mixed with hunger. And then you're labeling the whole thing as, oh, I'm hungry. Food is going to fix this. But here's an example. We've all been on vacation where we're like, with the love of our lives in like paradise and we've been hungry and has it been this like, Oh my God, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm going to like, rip the... <laughs> no, we've been no. like oh, I'm really hungry. Right. Just like when we were kids, when we were really hungry, it wasn't this like supercharged, like emotionally, like, Oh my God, like stress. It was just, it was communication from the body that our bodies are chemically prepared to digest food now. And um, so I think the first step in that is really disentangling, like, okay, are you hungry and stressed? And so we can definitely eat to address the hunger, but then we also have to acknowledge that there's also some stress there and food is not the remedy for everything. We use food to fix everything, right? It's like, and, and it, make, it makes sense when we're children, it's like someone's crying, oh, give her something to eat, like she must be hungry, right? And so we are sort of conditioned from a young age that it's like, oh, if you're tired, hungry. If you're stressed, hungry. If you're sad, you know, it's mm -hmm. eat, right? And so it's kind of like disentangling um, and really using food appropriately, which is food is to care for the physical body when hungry. And everything else can be dealt with in a different way. And it's more appropriate for it to be dealt with in a different way, not with food. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking of like, Anytime I go to Costco, <laughs> I'm usually it's usually at a time when like I have my two kids and my husband and like we're all like rushing through and I haven't eaten in like four or five hours and I'm like starving yeah. and I'm like, well, I should have had something right before we left, but I didn't have time because I'm getting the kids together and like, yeah. you know, I just haven't had a second for myself and I feel like um, obviously using me as like a guinea pig in this experiment, like that I can see how that would then become something that I identify as hangry, but as you're saying, it's really, I'm just, I am hungry, which is fine, but I am also stressed. So exactly. I'm hoping other people listening can relate to that. I'm hoping I'm not alone in this oh, instance and it really doesn't happen often. Um, but I do know there's like certain instances where I'm like, if I don't eat before, then I'll get hungry and then I'll be stressed. So this is probably a good learning lesson for me that I don't necessarily have to eat to prevent the hunger. I can just welcome it, you know, when it comes and just try to deal with the emotions in a separate, in a separate yeah. bucket. Yeah. And I think like, like ultimately we live a practical life where, yeah, like there's going to be sometimes things and schedules. And so, you know, I can't just sit here and be like, oh, well, just like be a fairy in the fairy garden and just like eat when you want it. Right. Like there is some planning, especially, you know, as, as a mom, like meal planning, that kind of stuff. So I try to still honor and incorporate that into like my teachings. I think there's, um, 
you know, you have to work with where you're at. If you know that it's like, I use, for instance, the hunger scale with clients, right? And so zero being like completely starving and then 10 being like completely stuffed, right? And so if you're about to go to Costco and you're, um, and I say to generally speaking, we should be eating at around a two, that's like hunger, right? And if you're, you know, at a three and then you know that you're going to, you know, have this like three hour ordeal, then it might make sense to perhaps if you can't, if you don't have time for a meal to sit down and have a snack to kind of tie yourself over, right? Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's appropriate to, to um, sort of foresee, you know, in our schedules and stuff like that. And especially if we're not deal, if we're, you know, for, for you, for instance, you, you don't have excess storage and all that. Just, so we do have to be, once we're in a fairly optimal body, we need to be appropriate to, you know, I have to respect hunger right when it comes, right? Because like, I don't have excess to burn. And, and ultimately, if we're in a body without excess storage, then when we're hungry, um, if, if we aren't fed, then our bodies will start feeding on muscle or organ. And, you know, that, that's, that's the problem. Um, and so with that said, uh, some of the women that I work with, they do have excess storage. Um, and so that sort of fear of, oh my goodness, like chasing hunger, it's like, okay, well, are you going to die if you're hungry for an hour? No, right? But but in our heads sometimes we almost and, and I'm saying like from experience, right? It's oh my God, but I'm going on a Zoom for an hour. Like and 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 we almost let this belief of like oh, I'm gonna be hungry for like an hour, right? And it's almost <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Right. It's like, what's the worst thing, to, you know, and for a lot of us, me included, I have a little bit of excess storage, like it'll feed on it. Like I'll, I'll make it through the zoom. Right. Um, yeah. And so kind of just pulling yourself back. And, and that's why it gets back to what we were talking about before, where it's really getting honest with like, okay, I'm hungry. And then I'm also, you know, maybe stressed. And so let me deal with as well, the stress appropriately so that um, it's just, it's disentangling, you know, food from the movement of, of life. That's such a good tip. I'm sitting here like having epiphanies. So I can't imagine what you do with clients. So this is great. Um, I'd love to talk more about like the common triggers that you see in some of your clients. Um, I know we mentioned before like transitional times in your life can be triggering, but are there like kind of actual trigger, like triggers, like physical triggers or people or um, anything like that that you find are most common in your clients that have an issue with emotional eating? you know what? They're all so unique to the client. And I went into this work just assuming that my triggers were like the baseline, right? <laughs> of like the common. Um, and so for, for, for instance, for me and for some of my clients, it is very um, uh, like diet culture driven triggers, right? So like being in, in a world where, especially for, for those that are, you know, perfectionistic and also are a little bit more how, how to put this sort of like visually like inclined like they like to present themselves well and so they can kind of take on this um this worry around like oh my goodness like how am I showing up and and it's this kind of handing off your body to like external validation and and disconnecting from like what internally feels good because somewhere along the line we learned or started to believe that like, oh, if I just trust myself, I might get ugly, I might get fat, I might get unhealthy. And so I can't, I can't take that risk. So I'm going to make sure that I follow the books, I follow the influencers, I like, you know, take the courses, and I do everything correct. And so for some of the clients, that's the trigger. And, and, and in a day to day life, it's like, 
it's literally scrolling Instagram and like seeing someone be, you know, like, oh, like you shouldn't, shouldn't eat past seven, right? And that little piece of information acts as head chatter that then when we're hungry at 7.30 um, and we're like, oh, I'm hungry. It's like, oh no, you can't be hungry at 7.30. Like get over it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like those little tiny micro things that you're just teaching your body. Like I'm not checking in. I'm not respecting you. Like I'm just operating from my head. And when the problem is from operating in the head is the head doesn't have a stomach and so it can't get full and so it never it never taps off right like stomach you eat it gets full it's like okay bye right you stop the feeling stops with your head it never it never gets full and so the thoughts never stop right and so so for some it's that for some it it's more of you know a life circumstance where um you know maybe they're in a marriage that they're using food to buffer the discomfort in, in their life that, you know, they're either avoiding something that's going on in the marriage, um, you know, perhaps it's very painful or they're using food, you know, as some, a buffer to c connect with that person because they feel unsafe. Um, we all have our different, um, kind of like vice with food. Um, and for some of us, it's, that controlling we we opt for the control and then for others it's um just kind of like a free-for-all and i always used to think that it was your either one or the other but now that i've experienced being both i realize that ultimately we're all both because if we're all sometimes in deprivation then we're all sometimes going to be in this sort of binge mode even if you don't resonate with this idea of binging um i think what's important to note is that i work with women that struggle with binge eating and they have all different bodies. Like I work with incredibly slender, slender women. Um, and you know, I'll come on a zoom with them and they'll just be, Oh my God, I've been binging for four days, blah, blah. And then I'll work with someone else that has a, you know, in a larger body. And so I think it's also important to note that it's not that, Oh, you know, it's people with disordered eating look like this, right? It's not, it's, it's an internal struggle. And it also goes to show that we all sort of have this kind of, balanced um set point or body whatever and we can still kind of mask all of these food issues on the inside so you really can't tell what's going on by just looking at someone um a lot of it is is secret and it's under the radar and whether you're dealing with the physical effects of it or not um it's it can be very real yeah and I, i'm glad you pointed out that it occurs in people of all types of bodies yeah. it's not just a one-size-fits-all eating disorder, really. It's not no. because, um, as you mentioned, like I've known people who are in different bodies that you would never expect had any issues with food. Yeah. And then I find out that they're, you know, bulimic and I'm like, wow, yeah. I would have never guessed. But that's just, you cannot judge people by what they look like, even if we've all been conditioned to do that. It's just, yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out um, because okay. it is hard to get off that hamster wheel. Once you're on it, it's like you just feel like you can't get off, like you're stuck in whatever diet pattern or belief around food or whatever. So with a client that has had a, this history of like emotional eating or binging and purging, um, where do you even begin with them? So like if, if you were to like take a client in and you're meeting with them for the first time, like what kind of questions are you asking to get them to reflect and think about just so that the audience can kind of understand your method and also maybe they should be asking these questions to themselves too if they're they're struggling with this issue. 
Yep. So here's the thing. Definitely there are questions, but I'm going to give you instead uh, more so like actual practical what I get them to do because I'm not the kind of person that um, I'm not like, let's dig up all your childhood crap and like, like throw a pity party because ultimately you don't even need to understand everything in order to heal. The first step that you need to do is disentangle food from the movement of life. Nine times out of 10, and by nine times out of 10, I mean 99 out of 100, um, it's that they're eating while like in the movement of life. So like the first thing to understand is food is an enjoyable break from life. So when you're eating, it means you're stopping what you're doing, you're stopping pausing life, you're sitting, you're being present, and you're being present to your food. And so that is number one that I'm like, that's what we've got to do first. And it's not looking at what they're eating, when they're eating, how much they're eating, anything like that. I'm like, let's just get present with owning your decision to eat and owning your decision to stop. And that alone opens up so much awareness um, and just data that the person oftentimes didn't even realize, even if they say like, oh yeah, like I'm present with food, or even if they admit freely, they're like, I always some sort of multitasking, whatever. It's it's always a shocker after the first week. They're like, wow, like I didn't realize it was this much or I didn't realize I was doing it like this, right? And so I would say that's number one. Um, and then in terms of sort of more of the questions, um, it's really about pulling out the non-value-based beliefs that are operating in the gut. So the things that ultimately don't feel true for you, but you're letting them run the show, right? Like for me, I was like, I, I was very into, I know it's not trendy anymore, but when I had my eating disorder, um, I was very into not eating fat. I was like, that's going to make me fat, blah, blah, blah. So like, I know now it's like the opposite, but it goes to show trends are always changing. Right. And so for me, I was always like, oh, I can eat fruit like nonstop. It doesn't matter because fruit's not food because fruit's fat free. And so whatever it is. And, but deep down, I knew that that wasn't true. And, and it wasn't like a truth for me. It was like, deep down, I know that if I ate like 70,000 watermelons, like I would eventually gain weight, right? And so it's kind of like catching that non-value-based belief and turning it into a value-based belief. And that's like a silly example, but um, a more kind of meaningful one would be, you know, um, uh, I have to I have to finish the food on my plate because if not, like it's going to be wasted, right? And so it's like, is that true? Uh, well, maybe it's not because either way it's being wasted, whether it's going into your body or going into the garbage, because if it's going into your body and you feel you already feel balanced, I use the word balanced over full, um, then either way it's garbage, right? So you can be the garbage or you can throw it in the garbage, right? It's catching little things like that. Um, and that, that one's more of like a, I think we've, a lot of us have struggled with that kind of mentality, like finish because it's, you know, not to be wasteful, whatever, but you'd be surprised. I mean, I still get surprised with the non-value-based beliefs that are operating in, in people's guts, right? And, and what's important to note is the gut holds our core identity. Our, our heart is sort of what guides us in terms of, um, what feels, what feels right. Like, uh, so essentially you start in the head brain and that's sort of like where you figure out the strategy, the game plan. Then you check in with your heart. It's like, okay, does this feel true for me? And then the gut is that's what mobilizes action. It's like gutsy courage, right? We often hear that verbiage. So when there's something off in our life, 
Um, there's, there's something off in our gut. And I always say, if there are food issues, there are life issues. And while we sometimes don't understand them right away and we're just like, oh, we need to fix the food issues. And I'm like, oh my God, just like gluten. I need to just get rid of gluten. It's like, mm, probably not. Um, it's like, sure. Like I'm not going to make you eat gluten if you don't want to eat it, but there's probably something going on that turns you to then be like, oh, I just need to cut dairy and that'll solve all my problems right because ultimately we've all been there where it's like we've been living our best life we eat in balance because if we were living perfect lives would we ever feel the need to overeat and I often ask my clients that right at the beginning I'm like if you were like woke up you're a millionaire you're like dating Brad Pitt like do you think that you'd ever overeat no, like, but we overeat because there's something that we need to like buffer with food, right? And same thing with restricting. And so um, it's kind of coming to that, like, okay, let's get you back on your path. Let's get you back realigned. And I don't often use this in my marketing because I, I don't want to sound woo-woo and I don't want it to sound like, oh, it's all in your head because I'm not here to be like, oh, you don't have a, you don't have a dairy intolerance, like get over it, eat some dairy. Like that's not my approach. Like we have to work with what you're at and what you're comfortable with. But I also know from experience myself and all my clients, it's like, for the most part, we can all eat most of the foods most of the time um, if we're feeling healthy and, and in balance and ultimately happy and ultimately on our path, right? But somewhere along the line, we get shifted off our path. And you had mentioned it right at the beginning of the podcast. I think for me, I went to university because I thought, oh, I have to go to university. I wanted to be a fashion designer or like a creative director or something super like not what my you know Greek dad would have would have approved of. And so I was like, no, I'll go to university, I'll get good grades. And that was sort of when I started taking away freedom of choice from myself. And it, then it's the same with food. We take away freedom of choice. We give it to the nutritionist that tells us what to eat or the influencer on Instagram. And if we don't have freedom of choice, we don't have our identity. And from that place, we become lost. And then, you know, we, we, create an identity in food and restricting and all of these things. And so it's really about reclaiming total choice because that is your identity. And we do it with our food to begin with. And that's what I, what I work on with clients. And then they realize it's like, Oh, I hate my job or like, Oh, like I hate where I'm living or like, I hate. And it's like, yeah, we've opened up total choice for you to be like, Oh, I would like, you know, a bagel <laughs> and you start to like realize like I'm allowed to choose a bagel if I want to choose a bagel and then that like trickles into like oh I'm allowed to not date like the asshole that I'm dating right now right and like I have the choice to do something that like feels better for me and it sort of is this ripple effect um so yeah I yeah <laughs> I love that um I I feel like a lot of um of what you said resonates with me because it's like when some sort of freedom is taken from you, you're naturally going to try to control something else in your life. And for some people, that's their schedule. For some people, that's their kids. For some people, that's food, exercise, like you name it. Um, but specifically when you have like a disordered relationship with food that starts for most women that have this relationship from what I have found in interviews and also health coaching, it starts when they're like young, like yeah. between fourth grade and sometime in high school. Like it usually doesn't start, you know, much after that because those are those really formative years where you're so impressionable and you're getting so many messages and you do lose a little bit of your freedom because society does tell you what to look like and does tell you how to act and does – they 
I feel like women, I have such a soft spot for all of us in my heart because men are not told the same messages that women are with their bodies. Like you look at any middle-aged man with children, an average guy, right? He's He probably doesn't have a six-pack. I can almost guarantee it. But his wife probably goes to the gym six days a week. Yeah. Totally. Or the kids. So it's like we have already been set up for failure with food um, from a very early age because of the standards that we set for women just in general. Um, yeah. So that is my tangent on that. When you said that, I was like, I have to talk about the, the freedom that was taken away from us because like we're kind of like destined to have an issue with food unless by some saving grace we had a mother or a woman, an older woman in our life that was like, oh, this bagel? Yeah, I'm going to have that on a Tuesday. And it's not going to be a special Saturday treat. It's just a Tuesday morning. Like, you don't know anyone whose mom wasn't on like the Special K diet or Atkins or Slim Fast. Like, we grew up in diet culture. Like, we meaning like millennials. I can't speak yeah. for Gen Z, but I pray to God that they are they have had it better than us in that regard. Let's hope. And I love that you bring up the 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 men thing because it's so interesting because they are often so much better at intuitively eating because we've all been with like a guy that at like I don't know some crazy time where a woman wouldn't eat like I don't know like 9 p.m or like 10 p.m right and they're like oh I'm starving like I'm gonna have pizza right and, and like the, the woman inside of us is just like dying of like no we can't eat like a heavy meal like at this time like how are you crazy right but the thing is is they just follow their wants right and oftentimes and I work with a lot of women where it's like my their partner is not overweight like they're in a balanced body like maybe they don't have a six-pack but like right right they're not with food exactly yeah it's because they eat when they're hungry and they don't when they're not the all they're trying to ever do is maximize pleasure in their body because they've never been told that like they they should restrict that they like we are scared of pleasure right we're like oh my god pleasure is going to make me fat or this or whatever they're operating from the place of like, I'm just always going to feel good. And so like, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. But if I'm not, I'm not going to eat. Right. And that's why they don't gain weight because they're, again, they're always maximizing the abundance of pleasure in their, in their body. And that's actually what we can do. We're just very nervous to do it. But ultimately if we're doing it, it like, maximizing the abundance of pleasure in your body means that you don't eat when you're not hungry because that would actually take away from the feeling of pleasure in your body, right? Because you don't feel good if you eat something and you're not hungry, right? Like that just makes you feel heavy, right? Um, except we do it because we're in deprivation. So our body's like just trying to compensate. And I say deprivation, even if it's just mentally, even if we're just like, mm-hmm. oh, right? And so men are very good at intuitive eating. And they also, generally speaking, of course, I'm like very much stereotyping, but um, as well, they, they don't think they're going to get fat. <laughs> like you ask a man. Yeah, they love themselves like, so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you ask a man, like, don't, are you worried you're going to get fat? And they're like, I'm not going to get fat. Right. If you ask a woman that, she's like, oh my God, yes. I've been on every goddamn diet. I'm taking this supplement. <laughs> I have my MD doing this. Right. They're like, their whole thing is like, fear of being fat, right? And what you resist persists. Um, whereas men are just so like, I'm not going to get fat. I can see whatever I want. Of course, some of them do, right? But it's usually because they're using food as a buffer, right? It's not because they're intuitive eating that they're getting fat. It's because there's something going on that they're using food to soften the discomfort in their life rather than dealing with the emotion. Um, so yeah, usually oftentimes men are a really good example. Like I, I often have my women, I'm like, well, notice how he eats. Cause they'll say like, my husband has such a good body. He doesn't do anything. And only he'll eat like, you know, like potato chips and this. And I'm like, 
yeah, monitor how he eats for the next week. Like you'll see it because you try to give your husband something that when he's not hungry, he won't eat it. Whereas a woman, if it's like, you know, if she's not hungry, but then she's told like, oh, but you're allowed this because it's in your macros and it's, you know, and it's the perfect time and you're doing it. Like, we'll probably eat it because we're like, okay, like, yeah, okay. Like I, this is food I'm allowed. So, you know what I mean? Rules of eating always lead to overeating eventually. Mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that. And also I laughed so hard when you said, like, you try to feed a man something when he's not hungry and he won't eat it. Like that yeah. happens to my, me all the time. I'll like make something because it's lunchtime. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm prepping you a food so that you don't get hungry uh-huh. because you have been meetings for the next three hours and I'm uh-huh. trying to be nice. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. Like he'll forget that it's lunchtime. Like he's like not yeah. hungry. He's like, yeah. yeah, I'm not really hungry right now, but I'll maybe I'll like I'll eat it for in a, in a little bit. And yeah. I'm like, if that food was in front of me and I was slightly hungry, it would be gone. Right. Like, it'd be gone. It'd be yeah. gone, like a goner. So it's just so funny how like when you mentioned that the differences in men and women and I'm convinced we are both biologically the same, but we yeah. are mentally so different. Totally. And men are like they have these compartments in their brain and this is something that I read about years ago. It's like men have boxes and compartments. And they could be in their sports box. So they're watching football and they you do not exist. They're like yeah. – you say something to them, they're like, no, nah, I'm in my sports box. Like can't yeah. think about anything else. Women's brains are like spaghetti. The laundry is running into the social media, you know, thing that I have to do. And then I have an email that I have to send. And then I have to go get groceries. And then I'm also got to like fit a workout in. And then I have to shower and blow dry my hair. It's like that's what we think about. And like men, when they're eating, I really am convinced they're just eating. Like I don't think they're thinking about anything really good point I don't know too too much about that but I have heard similar things where it's like and that's actually why women are technically more intelligent this is like scientifically proven because (laughs) our neurons are like more connected there's more going on and so we're more holistically connected right whereas men can kind of check out and as you say compartmentalize um and so it means that you know ultimately we're more empathetic and especially when we're in our, our feminine energy we all have feminine and masculine but um yeah we we The good news is we can use that to our advantage in the sense of we are able to more easily tap into our feelings. And so I want us to reframe it as to like, we have an advantage, not a disadvantage in the sense of like, we are even better able to connect to our feelings, our intuition, and we can harness that when it comes to eating. And what we need to do is actually get out of our head and be less intelligent around, oh, what should I be eating? What shouldn't I be eating? Whatever it is. And really trust. And and oftentimes the practice is we get into our intuition, but right when we get into it, we're like, oh no. But it's like the head chatter comes back. So it's not that we don't have intuition. It's we have like a blocker. And so the practice isn't let's strengthen your intuition. I always say like, it's right there for you. It's let's get all the crap out of the way so that you can just listen versus, you know, have to calculate all of the things that you've been told. Um, And ultimately like we're in a way we're trying to be a man. We're trying to be intelligent about everything. We're trying to do everything in our head where we're just meant to feel and flow Mm-hmm. I can relate to that 100%. And I think for me, at least in my experience, like having a routine, not necessarily even around food, but just in general, like having good healthy habits and routines really help me feel like, yes, I have more control in my life and therefore I don't control food as much. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if one, you feel that way too. And two, if you have any good morning and evening routine tips for people to like really like 
conquer their morning and their evening so that they're not like gripping onto food the way that they are in their current lives. It's a really good point because ultimately willpower is a muscle. It's not a skill. So it gets fatigued, right? Like, because if it was a skill, we'd all have like the same level of of willpower, but the same person could have a different level of willpower in the morning versus at night, right? So it's not a skill, it's a muscle. And so I always say like, if your whole life is, or your whole like day, let's say, is you just like gripping through life, then of course, at the end of the day, like you're going to just rush for that dopamine hit or something to, you know, help you make it through. But if you can genuinely be present to your life and for the most part, enjoy it, um, then you won't need so many tools to like push through. Right. And, and therefore, you know, if you're using food to push through, you won't need it. Right. And so um, I think it's so different for everyone. For me, um, I do have very um, sacred mornings. I know it's so like so cliche now everyone has sacred morning rituals uh but it's it's nothing super intense for me i i always do um 15 minutes of visualization right when i first wake up in the morning i'll put on some music i used to do guided meditations but i um i feel like once you kind of get a hang of being in the zone um it's nicer to just kind of guide your own meditations and i'm very about just like visualizing the specific kind of micro tasks that are going to get me to what I want to accomplish. And so for me, I've sort of tapped out of guided meditations because I'm like, they're too vague. Like I, I need to specifically picture like me opening that email that's going to get me that thing or whatever it is. So I do that for about 15 minutes. Um, I make a coffee. <laughs> I have a coffee. I, oftentimes people are like, I'll say I do certain things and they're like, that's not wellnessy. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't just like follow the trends. Like I drink coffee. There's nothing, you know, like you don't have to, it is what it is. It is a health food though. It's if, if drank properly (laughs) and in proper amounts, it is totally a health food and it provides Americans one third, um, their daily recommended fiber intake if they have three cups a day, which is sounds like a lot, but like that could be a third of their daily fiber. So caveat for that, but like I'm a huge fan of coffee. If anyone follows me on Instagram, you know that I love coffee. So I fully support it. And I'm just all about, you know, like if it feels good for you, then why, why stop? I often have women that are like, oh, I drink too much coffee. I'm like, says who? Like if it's you that are like, you're drinking coffee and you're like, this is making me feel bad, then, then sure, like slow down on the coffee. Um, but but oftentimes you just like see someone like detoxing coffee and so they're more like, oh my God, I drink too much. It's like, no, just tap into what feels good for you. For me, one cup of coffee a day, it's perfect. So I have my coffee um, and then I do journaling and I do the first half is gratitude, just like writing down all the things I'm grateful for. And then I kind of shift into um, advanced gratitude in the sense of like, thanking for the things that are going to come to me, hopefully. Um, and so sort of thanking the universe in advance. Um, and then I, I map out my day. And and, and that's actually key for, um, uh, for me, I always felt very overwhelmed. And so I would turn to food as like a very convenient in-betweener. It's like, oh, I don't know, like, which of the 17 tasks that I have to do next is, so I'll just go have a snack, right? But if I prioritize my day, and I know like, okay, these are the things I want to get done. This is the relative order. It sort of helps me stay on track. And not to say that we always have to be doing or always have to be productive. But for me, for like a Monday to Friday situation, that's very helpful. Um, and then I do some form of movement, depending on, to be honest, my cycle. <laughs> if, I, if I'm if i going to do like mat Pilates or a walk versus like a hit class, um, it kind of flows. 
And then by then I like get on with my day. Um, eventually I, I do my makeup and that's like a, a lovely kind of ritual that I used to feel guilty about. Like I used to be like, oh my God, I'm wasting time like doing my hair and doing my makeup. And I really recently, or, or at least in the past couple of years, really shifted that into like, oh, I'm investing in myself and how I feel like on the daily and how I show up to the world. Like what an amazing investment. And not to say that everyone needs to wear makeup, but for me, I just needed to shift it from being like, oh, I'm so vain, I'm wasting time putting on makeup to to it being this empowering thing of like, oh, like, wow, I love myself so much that I'm going to optimize the way that I show up. <laughs> I love the way that you view life in general, but also just the way you can like make something that can we can also internalize as like something negative, which is like you said, wearing makeup or getting dressed every day. Like I try to get dressed every day even though I work from home. And, you know, some days I'm not going to lie. Some days I am in workout clothes all day or in sweatpants because I'm just like really tired and I just don't have the energy. But I think as you mentioned, like just kind of honoring where you're at in your cycle but also in life. And I also cycle sync my workouts and my nutrition. So I totally relate to like you cannot push a HIIT workout if you're like – if you're, it's that time of the month. You just can't do it. It's like yeah. if you do, you're going to be cranky and you're going to be sore and your back's going to hurt probably. Yeah. Like it's you're just – more harm than good. What's the Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Um, And as I mentioned, like evening routines are also very important to me because I do think the way that we wind down sets you up for the next day. Like 100%. If you don't wind down at night yeah. and you just go from like working straight to bed or something like that, I don't know how people – exist in that like reality at all totally agreed agreed I always end with I do three wins for the day that I've had in the day and then this is from I'm not sure if you're familiar with um Dr. Benjamin Hardy he's written different books that be your future self now is one of them um he's really awesome And, and he suggested writing down three wins from your day three wins for tomorrow or kind of like three tasks to to kind of tackle tomorrow and then end he said never go to bed without asking yourself a question because um like when you're sleeping is a great way to sort of access your um subconscious and you know if there's something you're sort of thinking about or you maybe want some clarity on you can just throw it out there as a question and so I'll often like write down just like a random thing and sometimes it's super specific and sometimes it's vague like oh like how can I feel more free or like you know something super vague but I just trust that I'm going to go to sleep and some wires are going to wire and you know who knows and sometimes I wake up and I have complete clarity and sometimes I wake up and I don't remember what I asked um but but that's kind of what I do and exactly some form of kind of um winding down um I think I still need to work on putting my phone away sooner. Um, but don't we all, don't we all, girl. I know I'm the worst too. I'm not it's like, lie and say that it's like yeah. oh, I put my phone away four hours before I sleep, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. The two hour recommendation is so unrealistic, not even just for this like work purposes. Like if you have like a corporate job or you're an entrepreneur like yourself, like yeah. you're not going to be denying client calls or client texts or client emails you know, just because it's two hours before your bedtime. Like, I think there is like a healthy medium for sure. I 100% agree. And I also think that there needs to be a reframe around like 
I don't need to avoid my life because it's not bad. Like I enjoy my like clients. Yes. I enjoy my, I was having this conversation because I, someone um, was mentioning she was also a coach and she was like, oh my God, I could not do like a WhatsApp group, like WhatsApp support. Like I can't give them my WhatsApp. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, like for me, it's a joy. Like it's a blessing. Like when I see that message come through, like I don't even care if I'm on like the hottest date. I'm like, excuse me. I want to like go change some lives right now. Like, let me just like voice note this woman back. Right. And so for me, it like, it gives me energy versus I would understand if I was in like a corporate job where I didn't like the job and my boss emailed me and it's like six Oh five. I'm like, sorry, it's past six. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. also where you're at. Right. Yeah. You have to appreciate where you're at in life. And I think like you mentioned reframing and I think even reframing, like let's say you are unhappy in a job or okay I'm not going to say a relationship because if you're unhappy in a relationship you should just probably get out of it yes, but let's you. just say a job for like the sake of this interview um yeah. if you're unhappy and like you're getting that email or the text or the call and it's like at a time when like you're really trying to disconnect yeah. I think for me at least this is what I've done and I actually everyone knows that listens like I have a corporate job and I actually really do enjoy my job I love my boss I'm not just saying that I don't even know if she listens to this podcast probably not but like she is a fantastic manager and I adore her. But if she, she respects boundaries and I respect her boundaries. And so if she was reaching out late at night yeah. because she needed something, I would understand that she really needed me and I would want to respond. So I think like people need to understand that if something is bothering you, usually it's because that relationship isn't there, like you don't have a good relationship with your boss or maybe you're viewing your job as something negative and maybe let's say it's not a great fit, but what are the things it's, it's providing you? Like yeah. it's providing you healthcare, probably a solid paycheck, like yeah. growth opportunities. Like you can still be grateful and content in a, in a situation without, you know, hating your life and going down this downward spiral. You know what I mean? Like you can take steps to change your your next career path, but you don't always have to like sit in this misery when you're in like a difficult situation. So I just wanted to flag that because as a coach, I'm sure you can understand like there's probably so many people dealing with emotional eating that are in that exact situation that they hate their job. Absolutely. And I always say, you don't need to change anything right now. Like if, if we, if we decide that it's like, oh my God, I hate my job, I hate my life, all these things. It's not that, okay, we need to go quit right now. It's we need to build a plan because here's the thing. If we have a plan and it's like a path and we have a strategy, then guess what? We're on our path, whether we're in the shit job or not, right? We're working in the right direction. And that's something that's very inspiring and that can feel really good, right? Because it's just like, I use the example if I was sleeping in a dumpster, but someone told me like literally tomorrow, like Oprah's going to write you a check for $50 billion. Like, would I care? And then they were like, but one more night in the dumpster. I'd be like, sure. Right. Like, like all good. Right? You just want to know that it's like we're in the right direction or like something good is coming. And so, I, you know, I often say I walk people off the ledge of like when they're like, I'm just going to quit and like try my own thing. But I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, like we just need to build the plan so that you can do it in a way that feels like I'm working towards it. Right. And, um, you know, for me, I didn't really like living in Toronto, especially in the winter. I never liked the, the cold, but I built a plan around, okay, I'm going to move somewhere that's warm. And without even moving, I felt better. Cause I was like in months, I'll be somewhere warm. Like I'm on my path. And so it's the same thing. And 
what you said around the boundaries, I think it's interesting because clearly your boss is respecting your boundaries. And once we set boundaries and we feel like people are respecting them because ultimately we're respecting them enough so that other people are respecting them, then we can over deliver. And that's the key, I think. Like, and I, I feel, I hope that that's also how I am with my clients in the sense of I under promise so that I can over deliver rather than the other way around. If you over promise yes. and then under deliver, it puts everyone in like a yucky situation. Yeah. And no one likes feeling like they're underperforming, right? And like, I think that can like bleed into so many areas of your life, but as it relates to this topic of emotional eating and like not having control around food because of whatever reason in your life is leading you to to overeat and or use food as a crutch. I just feel like if we all, you know, took a step back and like respected ourselves enough to have these boundaries, to have these values, and to stick to them, I just think that food would kind of be not necessarily an afterthought, but like I would hope that food would eventually just be something that like it fuels you, you enjoy it, and that's it. It's just kind of like an an inanimate object almost. Like it's not an emotional thing. Exactly. And and for most of us, we've all actually had periods in our lives where that's how it's been. It's not that food has been boring, but it's just been like, yeah, like I eat it, like, uh, you know, it's good. And they move on, but I don't really think about it. And for most of my clients, they can remember a time in their life when that was the case. And I'm like, what was going on? Oh, well, I was living here and it was so great. And I was doing this great job and I was, and it's like, oh yeah, interesting. And then food wasn't an issue. And now you're this, 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 and now food is an issue. So, you know, we have to, and we have to, of course, tackle both. There's strategies to, to work through the food in the moment because we can't just focus on like, well, let's just set up a perfect life. Uh, but we also have to acknowledge that, yeah, like there, you know, food is not necessarily an afterthought, as you said, but you know, it's, it's nothing that should consume us. Food is meant to sustain us and move us forward. It's not meant to consume us. And hold us back. Because you mentioned moving forward, I feel like food can hold you back if you're like planning your whole day around it or just like, like I said, using it as a crutch to get you through your day and like as a reward to of like, oh, I made it through another day. And honestly, if that's you and you're listening, my heart is with you because we have all had those times in life when like you've needed that carrot at the end of the day, like proverbial carrot (laughs) um, to say, okay, made it through the day. You have, you're going through hell let's just have some ice cream. And you know what? There are times in life when probably that's necessary, but it's like the habitual nature of just like going to it constantly when like you're sad or when you're happy, like tying the emotions to it, like you said, is a, it's a real problem. And I really do think in, a, in the wellness space, I could see a, a lot of trends pointing to like kind of like what you're doing is separating the emotion from the food to make food so much less about, you know, how you're feeling in that moment and so much more about fuel energy and also enjoying life but like mostly just trying to like separate it from our emotions so that we're not constantly ruled by them yeah ultimately it's about making it a big deal which uh, not a big deal which is so unsexy because it's like we all want to just like oh which is the best superfood or which kale should i be eating but ultimately the healthiest relationship with food is actually sort of like I don't want to say not giving an F, but it's like, it's not analyzing it. It's not caring if this is a superfood. It's feeling, it's feeling into what do I feel like right now? And that's, you know, boring for some people because we are addicted to intensity and we are addicted to this, you know, 
oh, like it should be painful or, you know, something that it should feel there should be like a, a pain involved. And, you know, we're, we're just meant to, to eat and it should be peaceful. And it's really about for a lot of clients, it's about becoming more comfortable with a lack of intensity in life. Um, and that can be boring and sad a little bit for, for like you know as we transition <laughs> into it but eventually you're like oh no this is great right no, like, that sounds great no okay. sign me up that sounds fantastic to have less intensity <laughs> um Kiki I have so enjoyed talking to you I could talk to you for like three hours straight um oh. but I want to respect your time and your boundaries so I'm going to ask you the last question that I end every interview with um and I'm very curious to hear what your response is what does living a life well lived mean to you I would say um, it means living with purpose. So, um, and and I, I guess like the little caveat or like extension to that is um, for me, I always felt like purpose had to be like, oh, I'm like helping the children in Africa or like I'm saving the whales or whatever it is. But purpose just means that you're you're following your wants and you're actually just like, like I said earlier, maximizing the abundance of pleasure in your body and in your life. And that's purpose. And I think so, again, I keep using the word reframe, but reframing purpose to just be like, enjoying life. I think that like life is just meant to be enjoyed. And the sooner that we surrender to that truth, um, the sooner that we can really enjoy health and happiness. And I cannot agree more. That's such a fantastic answer. And I hope everyone has been taking like copious notes. And if not, then they can connect with you on um, socials and stuff. So where can people find you if they want to connect, learn more, and also like talk about your current business offerings? Because I'm sure so many people listening are probably interested after what you've said. Amazing. So on Instagram, I'm Kiki underscore Athanis. And then I also have a website, which is KikiAthanis.com. My Pinterest, uh, my uh, not Pinterest. Uh, I, well, probably Pinterest, but uh, it's all like just nail art. So um, um, my TikTok is also Kiki Athanis, um, and and yeah, and so all the details are on my website. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Um, I just have really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully you got a few new clients, but if not, I'm sure that you're going to get tons of DMs because I feel like you're just like a person that people can really open up to and trust and like you really hold space well for others. So um, thank you for doing that in this interview and I just wish you the best. Thank you so much for your time. It was so lovely to chat with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla underscore underscore Brandon. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.